If you're looking for hats for your business, hunting club, or just whatever, go check out Chickasahay Hat Company. It's locally owned by good folks, so you don't have the hassle of dealing with big box companies. They carry multiple different brands and sizes, including the number one selling hat, the Richardson 112. Custom embroidery is available on all hats and shirts, and to top it off, 10% of all profits go to charities for people that struggle with addiction. Like I said, good people. You can check them out on Facebook at Chickasahay Hat Company or on the web at chickasahayhatco.com. All right, we're back. Another episode of the Pinstripes to Camo podcast. Uh, back on the campus of William Carey University. And tonight's going to be a really cool night. Uh, got two guests tonight. And Hunter's out. We should say that ahead of time so we can give him heck about it later. Uh, but we got two guests tonight. We've got Tony Mazingo and Phil Hanberry. So glad you guys are here. Uh, and we'll get into those guys in just a minute. Before we do, wanted to say that the velvet season is happening this weekend starts friday friday through sunday right yeah okay it'll so. always be a weekend between the 10th and the 20th okay so um make sure that if you do plan to participate in the velvet season that you get uh, the special licenses of velvet velvet hunting season license I'm about to buy it right now uh, i'd forgotten <laughs> I forget. It's like it's like five dollars. It's ten dollars. Is it okay? Ten. It's not bad though. Ten bucks. And then remember that if you kill one, you have to submit it for CWD testing. Correct. Which I think's, I think is a bad deal. I think it's. Uh, I could go. We could we could go around and round and round about that. But, <laughs> but we won't. So, uh, let's get into the guests. First, we'll go. Uh, Tony Mazingo. Tony was the. Uh, he's a former circuit judge. Uh. I know in Lamar County, I feel like Jeff Davis County as well, in the 15th right, Circuit. Right, uh, it's five counties. Okay, so it's five counties. Okay, so it would be Lamar, Jeff Davis. Marion. Pearl River. Pearl River. Okay. And Lawrence. And Lawrence. Okay. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm embarrassed to admit this because I, I took the LSAT. <laughs> yes, there is of, a warrant out for you. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cases do you did you see? The bad the, criminal, yeah, the okay. criminal. Well, eighty. It's a criminal and civil court of juris, general jurisdiction, but ninety, eighty percent of the cases we heard were criminal based uh, cases. We did hear a lot of the upper level civil cases, like uh, damages were, were were greater than a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in question. Okay, okay. I, I just want somebody says, well, it's this court or this court. I'm always like. Yeah, I don't know what that court does. It's the court that you would have the violent crimes, okay. the, the bad crimes, the murder, rape, the other. That's why we don't know what it is. We haven't ever had to go stand before a judge in in those courtrooms. Have you, Matt? Have you ever been to court? I've had to observe it when I was in college, but I've never been in court like I did something. Okay. Okay. I haven't either. Me neither. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then Tony, you you retired in. 2022. Well, at the end of the last year. Yeah, end of last year. 
and uh, took over as the uh, executive director of Homes of Hope. Yes, sir. So, um, a lot different, a lot different work. Not really. Really. Strangely, it's uh, it's 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 similar. Uh, in in court, you 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 deal with so many people who have made bad choices uh, that might or might most of the time deserve a chance to right. be redeemed or, or straighten their lives out. At Homes of Hope, we deal with children who did not cause the circumstances, but certainly need a helping hand. And it's since there's similarities in that you're dealing intimately with people's lives, uh, whether it's taking away their liberty or giving them a Christian home, one or the other. They're two ends of the spectrum. You're still dealing with people, human souls, right. one way or another. So there's some a lot of similarities. Right. And Phil... On top of being my Bible fellowship leader, Phil uh, was the owner of Hanco Construction for how many years? 23 years. 23 years. And, uh, yeah. So it was a good, good run, had a lot of fun. and uh, Built half the campus that we're on, probably? Well, a good portion most, of of, most of it got built after I sold out of the construction <laughs> business. But. Well, the, yeah, the, the tornado and everything, uh, were you still in it during the tornado? No, actually, uh, I sold out. I sold out Jan- uh, December 31, 2016, and January 21st, two- yeah. 2017. Um, <clears throat> I got the word that there'd been a tornado out here, and I was actually on the campus by 7:30 that morning with about 30 guys from Hanco. They didn't, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't work there anymore, but they they still answered my call and came out here. So uh, we we started cleaning up that day. And you know, since we're on the <laughs> campus tonight, it's amazing. Like, I've been here since 2004. It's amazing what the campus looks like now versus what it looked like when I first got here, and even more so since the tornado. Um, you know, you talked about getting here at 7.30. I got here that morning right before the sun came up, and when you got here, you couldn't really tell how bad it was because, you, you know, there were no lights, you couldn't see. When the sun came up, the first thing I thought was, well, number one, we're going to start finding bodies, which fortunately we didn't. Uh, and number two was, is this going to be survivable for the university? It was just right. it was that much damage. And um, so we're we're grateful for the folks at Hanco and for the administration here that got us through that. And Tell you a great story. My nephew was, uh, he was a student here at the time. He was in the third floor of the dorm. I can't remember the name of the dorm. But anyway, <clears throat> he was in the third floor of the dorm. And when I called a check on him that morning, he had already had three professors from William Carey contact him on his cell phone. It was like, man, when I was a student in college, there weren't three professors at the university that knew my name. Right. And uh, so. Well, that's one of the unique things about this place, too. It absolutely is. And and that was the same when I first got here. It's the same now. Um, But, yeah, you know, I've had people ask over the years, with that kind of damage, they see pictures of it or whatever, how did you not have more injuries than we had? I think we really only had one one significant injury on campus was a, um, a women's soccer player that had a, a finger issue. Um, but whatever safety protocols that they have in the dorms, they work. They absolutely did. Every building on campus here had at least some damage, but a lot of it was significant. So, um, and, and I think you've got to you got to give credit. You know, there was divine protection that morning because uh, sure. there, I mean, there's no way with 38 buildings on campus that all had some level of, of damage, six that were totally destroyed, and yet 
one, you know, uh, yeah, one it, injury. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It really is. And the timing of the storm, it hit on a, a Sunday morning. Um, so a lot of less you know, people here. Yeah. That's the thing about, I mean, you think about the campus on the weekends, we don't have football or, you know, a lot of stuff going on, especially not in early January anyway. So a lot of students go home on the weekends and I mean, had that a hit on a, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, it may have been different. But, right. You know, the timing of it was, was good for us for sure. So, um, Tony, I want to hear, I want to hear some more about homes of hope. Um, we get into some of your outdoor adventures. Uh, <laughs> he told us about some of them before the show started, and I'm excited about tonight. Um, but I want to hear a little bit about Homes of Hope and, and what you guys do and kind of how that whole organization runs. Well, first is thing is we're privately funded and uh, by the generosity of the community and the churches in this area have built Homes of Hope, and we're debt-free. And without federal and state dollars, you don't have federal and state interference. So we're able to operate and have a curriculum much like William Carey, a Christian curriculum that we're not ashamed of. And we can bring children who are neglected, abused, or just good kids that are normal that don't have parents or grandparents to take care of them and bring them into a Christian home. We have four homes. Each home has a mom and dad that have that are full-time employees that have up to eight girls or eight boys in each of the homes, and they raise them as though they're their own. They're their own children. They get on a school bus in the morning, they get up, have breakfast at a big table, have a devotional, go to school, come home, and then we have some, some more special things in that we have a licensed social worker on campus, and we have a, an educator who's certified in dyslexic, uh, certification uh, training and um, many years in the classroom and we can tutor and bring these children up to the level they need to be and beyond and we're implementing new life skills programs and trying then to prepare them for the transition into adulthood when we can it's time for them to um, be emancipated and move on with their lives independently we want to prepare them for that so it's just a wonderful setup we have a 40 acre campus in Lamar County, and um, uh, we are just very thankful that we've been very as blessed as we have been. I, I like the idea of what you're talking about having the parents in the house. It gives the the feeling of the nuclear family, which That's is right. fleeting in today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really neat. You should see how the children respond that don't even know what a nuclear family is. Right, may not even know what a mom or dad are. Or maybe have one parent or the other that may have had problems of their own. You should see how they, when they get there from the first day, it's like they respond. Their their spirit wakes up in them, and and they just are transformed. And you see the potential in each child. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um. Let's uh let's fast forward. Uh, when when I first talked to Phil a couple of weeks ago about you. Um, one of the things that caught my attention was you like to hand grab catfish. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. That's your deer season is my hand grabbing season. Okay. Okay. You get okay. that. Yeah, no, I, I, I know I, you I get, get that. that. I get the deer season part. <laughs> I, I haven't done the hand grabbing. I want to, I will do it. I just haven't done it yet. Well, we were supposed to go this spring and, or the summer and my boat was in the shop the entire summer. 
Um, I thought it was going to be a quick fix thing, and it ended up staying in there until about three weeks ago. I have a I have a offer for you both that okay. that that uh, you can't refuse. Let's let's have a a, a you, after this edition, you you set up one of your listeners, and you have some kind of contest to build listeners, and one of your listeners and the two of you and Phil and I will go at my expense, and I will guarantee you, you will catch a fish if you're willing to try. I'm in. I'm in. Okay, there you we're, have it. We're an easy sell <laughs> on something. Yeah. On something well, like it's, it's you know, some people love the woods. Some people love to sit in a deer stand. Some people love to shoot uh, clays or dove or whatever. Turkey hunting is their passion. Right. Mine's hand grabbing. Yeah. I just love it from the the day the water temperature gets right till the last fish swims out of the hole. So so when did you start? Like, how did you get into it? My father was a minister, and he pastored a church in Franklin County, Mississippi, near Meadville. Yeah. And there were some tough country boys. The generational <laughs> had been hand-grabbing. And as a little boy, I tagged along and went with them, and I've been doing it ever since. They were tough. Yeah, I'm talking about Back then, they had a lawnmower engine mounted on a piece of metal, and they would float it on top of a tire, inside tire, tire inner tube. Yeah. And literally hook a rubber garden hose to, to that manifold of that um, Briggs and Stratton engine, and they would go underwater and hold that thing up in their mouth and stay in, and they would carry, I remember they would carry chocolate bars, and like melting in the, you know, I'm like, what are you? And they would be eating chocolate. They said it helped with the heartburn. They were actually getting the bins. <laughs> they didn't even know. You know, they were going down and coming up without breathing out, and they didn't even yeah. understand it. And they, but it gave them such bad heartburn. <laughs> it was all those fumes. Oh, uh, that's funny. So it's a true story. So where were you guys doing this at? Uh, well, sometimes on the Homachita River, there where it crosses at Butte. Yeah. But uh, there are a lot more opportunities in the cypress trees at Lake St. John, Lake Bruin across the river from Natchez. Right. Those Oxbow Lakes, all the way up into the Delta. There's And then... Um, lakes that don't have barges going up and down a bit. <laughs> right. 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 So, I I got into hand grabbing with the, our other partner that's not here tonight, Hunter. His dad got me into it. Uh, he's, he's my mom's brother. I was probably eight or nine years old, and we would go in the Bowie River. Sure. And we would go in the Okatoma River. And... Um, he, we didn't have boxes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He just knew Stunt of logs and of yeah. hollow logs or holes up in the in the yep. side of the bank. And you know, one of those logs, um, we still fish it now in the Bowie River. That sure. was uh, it's a hollow log that's been there for shoot probably thirty years. What kind of catfish are you catching? Flathead. Flathead. Yeah, that's the preferred. The well, that's what we're catching in the in the Bowie and the Okatoma. Well, all catfish go with your hand. Well. This is important distinction. You, you're catching what people refer to as flathead yellow catfish. Right, yellow cat. Right. They're more docile. You, yeah. But the blue cat is the meaner. It's the We're not going for those next well, year, we, right? But unfortunately, you, can't, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't really have a choice when you stick your hand and you don't know which. <laughs> so the, the point is is that we, we would prefer to always catch yellow cat, but most of the time it's blue cat earlier in the season. And um, and they're in these cypress trees, and yes is the answer to your question. 
if you stick your hand in their den where they've laid their eggs, they're going to attack it. I mean, do you have to worry about anything? Do you have to really worry about an injury there or just pull out? Well, uh, my hands have scars, you know, it'll, the, the, the skin abrasions and, and, but not like I've had a broken thumb. I've had a broken thumb. Okay. Uh, and I've had my arm stuck in a hole and almost couldn't get it out. But, um, to Phil's point, um, (laughs) well, anyway, um, your point was my point was do you have to worry about anything yes, else that, i want to get hole. to that yeah you want to you, you know people say snakes and you don't have to worry about snakes because they don't they don't breathe underwater what you have to worry about are snapping turtles mm-hmm. and I, they will take your fingers off yes yeah. i caught i caught a hundred pound snapping turtle on 12 pound test line and uh i was just bass fishing and uh i know what kind of jaws they have I'm Almost, telling you. you Hold on, let's pump the brakes out. a little bit here. <laughs> no, no. But we do know what a hole feels like. I can I can tell by the way the hole feels on the bottom of the lake or whatever body of water right. if it's if it's a active den that a fish may be in because of the muddiness or how smooth it is. But there's no there. way to know if there's a, a snapping turtle in there. Well, that's that's what I'm well, saying. It's, it's a different feel, okay. and, and and we've had. In the past, we've had some questions about whether I think there's a fish in there or not, and we just took a like a cane and stuck it in there, and and they'll pop at that. Yeah, and then and then when you're underwater, and they hit that cane or whatever, you can hear them bumping around in there and stuff, and you know it's a fish. Then, but Hunter and I, we do have a, a cousin that he, he passed away a couple of years ago that was missing the tip of his thumb from a snapping turtle, from a loggerhead turtle. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I'm I'm along to identify the casualties on this trip. I'll just go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I think it's fun, and you know, I mean, it's it's. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about the difference between blue cat or yellow cat or, or flathead, whatever you want to call them. Um, a blue cat is meaner, in my experience, and it'll tear your arm up a little more or whatever. But uh, a flathead to me is it's the gold medal catfish. Oh, it's the, the difference is is blue cats still eat like most cat. Fish varieties, channel cat, and all off the bottom. Right. The reason yellow cat eat live be- right. brim, and and so the meat is better. And right, but we don't ever keep the fish though because the ones we catch are big enough that they take breeders and stuff. Right, it's just like catching a big old bull red out there. Right, yeah, you don't. Uh, understand. Yeah, you, that's you've fine. You're, put, you're putting them back, but I'm telling you, when we go in the Bowie River and we catch a fish, it's coming home with us. <laughs> right, we're eating it. Right, so <laughs> that's. The habitat's a little different over there. Right, right. Well, that's what I'm definitely in. So are you, trip. are you mainly checking boxes, or is it all cypress logs? Both. Not logs. Uh, the cypress trees, trees that are growing up out of the water anywhere from a depth of uh, two feet to eight or ten feet deep. Yeah. And we, we've been going all of my life, so I know the trees that have the right holes that don't have too many holes, that have just maybe one or two, that have the right size, and that are – hollow trees yeah. so well, I'm, yeah i'm telling you though if tony if tony says be ready you better be ready because one afternoon he called me <laughs> no joke at six and says i'm leaving in 30 minutes have your bags packed and uh, <laughs> yeah. i had some i had a conflict and i couldn't go but uh well if it's for going hand grabbing catfish whatever conflict i have i'll eliminate it <laughs> we'll go it's such a short season yeah Thank you me. don't have long and, and that's what happened this year it's just i didn't get a chance to go i was actually supposed to take david witten this year and I heard about that's the pastor, right? Well, he's 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 definitely going because uh, I've already heard he wants to go really bad. Yeah, Temple's pastor. Yeah, and he'll he'll do it. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say whether he'll put his hand in a log or not, but he'll go. But yeah, we can do that. Um, moving on from hand grabbing, uh, you're a big swimmer. Yeah, that's, I grew up on the hub fin swim team since I was about five or six. So it's really? like my, okay, so the water. You, yeah, you said you're, you're a big water guy. Um, I like all of it personally. If, if it gets me, you know, coach baseball all the time. I've got three daughters at home, so if I can get in the outdoors, sure, I'm going. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me what it is. Um, Matt's kind of the same way, Matt. I'm not huge on water. I mean, I don't mind water, but I just like I don't have a. Well, let me phrase that. I do want a boat, but it's to ferry me to a duck blind. I don't. <laughs> it's not going anywhere else. Right. Um, but I, I like the woods more myself. But I'll do the water stuff. Now. Swimming, uh, which you've got some incredible stories that I want to get to in a minute about swimming. Um, so you said you were on the hub fence. I'm guessing that's like a – That was a local swim team here okay. forever, Miss Coco Sutherland. Okay. Uh, if any anybody, uh, many of us in Hattiesburg grew up, it's what soccer is today, swimming, We, you know, it was just a local city swim team, and right. anybody could join. We uh, We would mow the coach's grass – for our annual fee, that was the way we paid our way on. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, we, so, it's a good deal for him too. Yeah, so so they uh-huh. used to have Sutherland School of Swimming, and it was over on off of uh, Adeline. That was after my time. I'm pretty I mean, old. <laughs> no, I mean, no, we're the same age. We're. I don't remember Southern School of Swimming. Yeah, uh, all the Southern girls taught swimming at their house, and and their mother was the coach of the Huffins, I think, forever. But, that uh, would be Amy Sutherland, probably. Yeah, yeah. all of them. They they taught swim lessons, and evidently they picked out the best ones to uh, be on the swim team. I never got that call. <laughs> <laughs> Are they still around, Hub Fans? Are they doing it? I don't know. I know I th- that there's a very healthy, active, really high-level swim uh, team here. I just don't know if they're still called the Hub Fins, but yeah. one of them in particular, Mr. Giannini's granddaughter, is like a – uh, 14-ish, and she's already on the national scene. Wow. Mm. I mean, super talented kids here. Yeah, and I think they program. compete through the Y maybe or – Through or, the – yeah, I, I think so. It's kind of like travel ball but swimming. Yeah, right. but, I mean, they yeah. are – she's like elite level. Yeah. We just started a swim team at Cary this year. Or I don't think it'll be they – won't, they won't perform this year. They won't compete this year, but they'll compete next year, I guess. And I don't know when the seasons are for that, but – I was had a chance at a freshman scholarship swimming at Southern, and I got there the first week and um, at the natatorium, and they canceled the swim program. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> that same that same week. So from hub fins, yeah. Where did that take you as far as swimming? Like, what did you you got in? What What did you get into? I was next? never talented enough to do competitive swimming at a college level, really. But um, I always loved it, and uh, then I I got certified to scuba dive when I was fifteen. Um, and went to Cozumel and did some things like that. Then I got advanced certified. And then with learning how to be a hand grab, you know, catfish when you're a kid, and you put that together with a swim team. And then the, and then I got into spear fishing uh, yeah. with a group down in, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, a close-knit group of guys called the Deepwater Mafia. <laughs> and they let me be a member of their their club and, and – um, that's just what I've always done instead of deer hunt or play golf or whatever. That's just what I've always done. And I, I also love to fish from a boat. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
any kind of you, fishing. You don't have to be in the water. Just on no, the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Have, have you ever, have you ever taken a tank down hand grabbing? Like I, I do it all the time. Uh, yeah. We always, I always bring three or four. Yeah. Because it enables you to go from tree to tree. And if you get on a good fish and it may be six feet down, you have to have air. Right. I fought the biggest one I've ever caught was three years ago. And all the years I've been hand grabbing, I finally got the one I've been, you know, the right. one I've been, the big buck that you look for. Mm-hmm. And it took me over an hour. My cousin, Jimmy Mazingo from Sunrise, Mississippi was with me. He can witness. And uh, it was just the two of us over there. And um, it took me an over an hour. And so I used up a tank and a half of wow. air fighting that fish. How big was the fish? 47 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I caught one of those 47 out of the buoy a couple of years ago. You made that up. I'll show you a picture in a minute. All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to see that now. See if I can find it. Um, yeah, have you heard, like, the guys in um, is either Texas or Oklahoma. I should have said 48. You should have. <laughs> well, mine, mine was His would have been 48 then, though. No, mine, mine would have <laughs> still been 47. Um, no, nah, I'm joking. Guys in either, uh, either Texas or Oklahoma this past year, and they and they did it with with scuba gear. I think they sink like big culverts down there. They do. I, we have hot water heaters down there. We have handmade boxes. We have yeah, uh, all kinds of like a pipe where you know right. culverts. Over the years, the, the old timers they didn't discern between anything that they can back up a fish can back up into and have the right kind of bottom uh, smooth place mm-hmm. for their eggs to attach. They're gonna. And protection around them. The big thing is the no predators can get around them. Um, they they caught one that was, I want to say it was like ninety pounds this year. Yeah, my, when I was a kid, I was about twelve or thirteen, and I did participate and help. Now, with a seventy-five or so pound uh, catfish, but I can't take credit for that. That one's about an inch smaller. He's showing me a picture. <laughs> yeah, got about an inch out. smaller than the one I caught. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's no, beautiful. Beautiful. Like four feet long, you know. They're yeah. Just, well, there's two my daughters. That's awesome. There. Yeah. That's big fish. But um, a 75-pound, but I was only helping. I was just right. a young teenager, and um, these the old-timers from Franklin County, I, I watched them. They, whew, they were tough. Yeah. And, you know, you wouldn't think about it like, I used to go, uh, we'd go kayaking in Okotoma all the time or whatever, just floating the river. And you wouldn't think that there'd be fish in the Okotoma River that weighed, you know, 50 pounds, 60 pounds. I think I think the biggest one my uncle ever caught was 60, mm-hmm. and he caught it in the Okotoma River. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that the fish that are in there. But, sure um, is. Yeah. Let's take, a, let's take a quick break here from a couple of sponsors, and uh, we'll be right back, and we'll talk some more. We'll talk some more woods and water. Hunting season is here, so why are you still loading your four-wheeler in the back of your truck? Head on over to Bill's Collision Center and Trailer Sales in Columbia, Mississippi. They've got a trailer for all of your hauling needs, including trailers for four-wheelers, side-by-sides, and tractors. Gooseneck trailers and dump trailers are also available. And in the event that you kill a deer with your truck rather than your rifle, they can take care of that too. Check them out on Facebook at Bill's Collision Center and Trailer Sales, or give them a call at 601-736-3219. It doesn't matter whether you own your own business or work for someone else. You're going to need office supplies, printing, and office furniture. We all use them every day, so why not use a local family-owned business right here in the Pine Belt? Commercial Stationery Company offers great customer service, free next-day delivery, and free installation on furniture. 
Call Wayne and Daniel Ross at 601-582-4311 or go by there and see them yourself at 723 Scuba Street, located in Hattiesburg. And we're back. So, um, Tony, you, you were talking about, we were talking about swimming before we left. Um, you've done some Ironman stuff. Kind of mm-hmm. tell us, tell us how, what, that, what that was like, what, or how you got into that. Well, back in 2000, several of um, local runners in the community, uh, led by Becky Ryder, who's well-known in the running community, gathered together a, a, a group of about six or eight of us we met. for an organ- She had just retired, her and her husband, Holly, and moved back here to be around their children and grandchildren. And um, she wanted to, as a former track coach, start a local running club, which there was one here back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but it went, it dissolved. So now the Pine Belt Pacers have two or 300 members. Right. But uh, I ran my first marathon around 1997, around that time, and there was a fundraiser for the, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And uh, I had always just wanted to run a marathon, and I was not a runner. And, and, um, that turned into about 27 or 8 marathons. We were very close friends. We would go on these trips to places we had never been around the country for long weekends. And, oh, um, wait, 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 wait. Y- y'all all got together just to go run 26.2 miles? <laughs> well, we would train together during the week, you know, long runs on weekends. And yeah. I'm assuming. No, it, it makes sense. I could just see my wife stuff. So I was like, look, I booked us a trip. We're going to Colorado. One catch. We're all going to run a marathon. One of the four days we're there. Well, this, this, I must say, you have to remember, this is back before I was married. Okay. My wife wouldn't, I don't think I'd be running any marathons. Uh, you know, I mean, my wife, she's not a, she's not a marathon runner. She's done, I think she's done seven or eight halves and mm-hmm. she does a lot of 5Ks and 10Ks. But I mean, we've been all across the country traveling to places that she wants to do. Good deal. You know, 10Ks. So, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm guessing. John John Pendergrass was probably part of this group too as well. Well, John Pendergrass, I'm glad you brought him up, uh, is one of the greatest men, best friends I've ever had. And I was with him this morning, and um, he was a winner of the Air Medal, flew combat missions over Vietnam, and is truly the greatest gentleman I've ever known. Agreed. And um, he was uh, the best athlete the best runner in this part of the country for many years and um at one point in 10 year in one decade he ran um he averaged more than 60 miles a week training and believe it or not in his 60s and there's he wrote a book about it in his 60s he competed in six ironman triathlons on six different continents right the only person to have ever done that he told me he would have done a seventh one if they'd have had it in Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was my eye doctor for years. He's and, a great uh, man. Super super great guy. And I mentioned during the break Elmer Elmer and Ann Elmer, Elmer and Ann Beardshaw. These are these are well known legendary people that started the running community back in the seventies, I right. guess. But anyway, the the so we got into running a lot of marathons, and then um, I with swimming background that I had. Uh, it was natural. I started doing some short triathlons, and then, and then we just did two Ironman triathlons uh, during those active years. You might yeah. say in the early two thousands. Okay. Well, side note: I don't even know if Phil knows this. You may know this. 
Uh, since we're talking about running for a minute, I don't even know. Matt may not know this. I was the first ever cross country coach at William Carey University. Started, nah, I didn't know that. I started the cross country program here in 2010 hmm. and coached it for five years. Hmm. And uh, we won a conference championship here. We had several All Americans. Um, and it, when we started talking about Dr. Pendergrass, it made me think about all that because I'd go in for my eye visits and we just, it would yeah. take forever because we'd talk about running the whole time, you know? Um, I figured out real quick though that if you if you wanted to win, I didn't recruit kids. I didn't recruit many kids from Mississippi. I made a connection in Kenya, and so I brought Kenyans across. And is that how some is, is that how some of those um, students came here through your program? Sure. Well, we we get to know them. Uh, a lot of those Kenyans uh, okay. the students that came in, and um, I'll tell you a funny story. I was we were at the Zalia Trail. Uh, the 10K, the fa- it in Mobile. Mobile yeah. um, <laughs> they tell the story. I was out there, and the Kenyans were all like they had hotel rooms paid and invited, and they would get a little fee. And the Pine Belt Pacers show up, and I'm with this group, and I'm like one of the slower of the group. So uh, before the race, they're out there running, you know, warming up. I'm out there running full speed, trying to keep up with them, warming yeah. up in the front, and everybody else is like thousands of people back, and. Um, uh, they looked at me like, what, what are you doing out here with us? Just warming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys, they were, they were fantastic runners. They were fantastic kids. Well, they're great people. Sure. Uh, the people that I met from Kenya. All the kids that we had here that we brought from Kenya. Big hearted um, people. Great. Yeah. Big hearts. Gentle. Yes. Sweet people. Yeah. Very meek, uh, humble. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, uh, the the first the first guy that we got on our team from Kenya was Joe Ashasoro. He was actually already in the states. Um, he when he was eleven years old, ten or eleven years old, his his father had died when he was eight from AIDS, and his mother died when he was ten, I think, from AIDS. Mm. <clears throat> and you know, in those villages over there, they're not as educated in medicine as we are in the states. And um, since both of his parents had died from from that disease or that that virus they all assumed that he had it so he was ostracized in the community um he lived basically by himself in a one-room mud hut no electricity no running water for several years before a, a group of missionaries from south dakota came through and they brought him back to the states and a family in south dakota adopted him <clears throat> um when he came to the u.s he, he could barely speak any english um I think that was his tenth, ninth or tenth grade year of high school is what it would have been. He was reading on like a first grade level. Um, by the time that he was a senior in high school in South Dakota, he was the number three prospect for cross country in the United States and was taking college credit classes. Um, he was a really hard worker. He ended up going to the University of Portland to run cross country for a few years. And uh, out of the blue one day, I get a, a phone call, and it's him, and he's just calling – coaches in the south and we started talking and you know and i'm like this is too good to be true i looked him up online and i'm like this guy would be not only the best runner that we've got he's going to be the best runner in the southeastern united states regardless of your of the size of your school and we kept talking all summer and he called me i'll, I'll never forget he called me on july the 4th and he said coach i've narrowed it down where i'm going to transfer to three different schools uh william carey University of North Carolina, 
in Southern California. And I just threw my phone down like, what, why am I still talking to this guy? And uh, I said, okay, man, that's great. Uh, appreciate, you know, being in the running for that. He calls me back the next day. He says, coach, I'm coming to William Carey. So he mm. comes down here, and it's a big deal already um, that he's here. We had a scholarship dinner. Um, Phil Bryant was speaking at our scholarship dinner that year, and Phil Bryant wanted to meet him. And, he, you know, so he meets the governor of Mississippi like his first first couple of weeks on campus. He also lured, did he not, Khalid Kanuchi and a lot of – and his brother and all of those Kenyan runners that came, and, and some of them lived here. I'm not sure. I think I'm he, he was sure the, the first. I'm pretty sure. Um, but he, you know, he, and he was so humble in his interview, they, the WDAM interviewed him meeting with the governor and, and they said, you know, we want to, you know, do this or do that. And he said, let, let me make my name here before you do all that. You know, I haven't even ran a race here yet. Mm. Well, he won every race we went, we went to <laughs> that year. Um, and we ran against a lot of bigger schools. We ran against Florida state and Miami and a bunch of SEC schools and he's blowing them out of the water every week. And uh, we did a, a deal with Fox Sports South uh, before the conference deal. And then he goes off to, you know, the national championship. And he, he was kind of – he had a lingering injury the whole time uh, that we were up there. It was in – it was back in uh, – right across the river from Portland. We were in, in southern Washington. And I think he finished third overall in the national championship that year with an injury. Mm-hmm. And from there, we were just able to get more of those guys just through that connection. And it's – it was a wonderful thing for our program here for a while. And and then, you know, I got out of it, and the guy that took it over kind of kept that going. And the cross-country program here has been really good ever since. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I hijacked your story. No, this is kind of like the podcast. You're going to take this global. <laughs> right. So, so the next thing, we talked about Dr. Pendergrass running Mar- Ironmans, right? Ironmans on six mm-hmm. different continents. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Only person's ever done that that we're aware of. We have a story for you tonight. It's like right. Tony is the only guy I've ever met that has done what we're about to talk about. So, <laughs> all right, before we even get into it, I've heard a lot of people say they were going to do it. I've heard a lot of people uh, accidentally almost do it. Um, but I've never heard of anybody successfully doing it until the other day. Phil called me the other day and he said, Hey, I was at an event last night with Tony Mazingo. You got to hear this story. Tony, as far as I know, Matt, do you know anybody else that swam, successfully swam the Mississippi River? Successfully. <laughs> anybody can swim it. Yeah. Swim I mean, it, I, swim I swam it in it, <laughs> not across it. Well, it's kind of like parachuting. Anybody can be, you know, you can parachute one time, but Absolutely. successfully is to do, be able to do it again. Oh, so, my goodness. Swam across it. And we're not talking about swimming across it in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. We're, we're talking in Natchez, Mississippi. It was my wife, like, maxed out the life insurance policy. I mean, now she, uh, she ahead carries. Of this? No, now she carries. Like, <laughs> if anybody would dare sell her, and she's adding on. But <laughs> I don't blame her. It started with this. This uh, she was not very happy, but we were. We had a very difficult murder trial uh, to that got a lot of uh, a murder that got a lot of publicity in one of our counties, and we had to change the venue, they call it. So we selected a venue in Adams County in Natchez, and we went, our whole court staff, everyone went to Natchez and stayed for the couple of weeks uh, in a hotel. And um, we had some credible threats and 
so we had the Mississippi Bureau of um, Investigations and the Highway Patrol were kind of watching, supposed to be watching me and right and anyway. <laughs> that that sounds intense enough. <laughs> but I mean, they were supposed to be looking at, and you know, they were kind of responsible for me to behave, and I didn't really <laughs> behave. One afternoon, um, had two. Uh, two of the staff members of mine, I just told them that we were going uh, to get a um, just a picnic basket or whatever. We were going to go sit on the levee. And um, on the way there, what's now the Magnolia Casino in Natchez. It's up, uh, up toward the cemetery a little bit north of Natchez. I knew that the current would take me down probably at about a 45 degree angle but that i would pop out hopefully over by the hotel there at, at vidalia right Louisiana. right so i kind of had it the current figured in because i had done alcatraz and in alcatraz you swim you're swimming straight but you end up uh, probably a mile down because of the current so i had kind of had that experience or all right before you keep going mississippi you mentioned alcatraz yeah obviously a lot different swim than very cold. Yeah. Very, very cold. I mean, I had, when I got in the water and jumped off that island, I, I couldn't even hardly breathe. Do you have a, so a suit oh, yeah, on? Full wetsuit with a yeah. wetsuit with the head um, cap, everything that you could get insulated, I had. And it's still, I've never been that cold in my life. I couldn't even hardly get my breath. So, so you're on Alcatraz Island. Yeah. And then you've got to swim to shore. Well, you don't have to if you're dumb enough to try it. Well, I mean, that's that's what you did, though. Yeah, yeah. You swim, you swim, and you end up at Lindbergh Field. And that's what three miles, something like three and a half miles. Three and a half miles. Now, people have always said that you know you couldn't escape Alcatraz because of that. You couldn't survive the swim. It's a great question. I get asked that a lot. Go ahead and ask it. Can you survive the swim? Did those three guys? Or did the three guys survive it? In my opinion, absolutely not. Yeah. No, they didn't have way. wet suits or anything. Like they didn't that. know they weren't in shape. They weren't. Um, they it was at night. They didn't know the currents, the sharks. I mean, you, there's no way they could have possibly survived it. Yeah, actually, I, we had to, the they. We had to actually go to a two hour, the the group that did it uh, orientation and watch. I mean, we had to be by experienced people that had done it a lot and and schooled on what to swim toward and how to right they there's a, no way a boat following you along on the kayaks, kayaks. yeah okay. well they were just kind of like on the perimeter to make sure and you, had, you had i don't know what they were going to do river too right no i didn't have anything <laughs> <there>. <laughs> all right so all right back to the mississippi river you're going to come out so I, I figured i would come out at vidalia and um so i got them and they reluctantly and i said just drive across the river and sit on the bank, and I'll I'll be there in maybe 40, 45 minutes. If I'm not there in an hour, you can start thinking maybe. But I didn't even consider that I wouldn't make it across. It was just like I was going to pull a stunt. But I did not know what I was getting getting What's, myself into. How far is it across the river? A little over a mile. That's what I kind of thought, about a mile. Okay. But it's a treacherous mile. <laughs> right. I mean, when I remember all that riprap, those big rocks, and I can remember looking over and stepping down to try to get in the water, and I can remember seeing the whirlpools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is not the smartest thing. They didn't have did. those at Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> This was far more difficult than anything. I Actually, 
it was a mis- I shouldn't have done it. But anyway, I got I got in the water and I started swimming and I, re- I had a bright orange cap on to make sure whatever they could find me. I don't know why I would put that on, but they could track you. <laughs> they could track me, but I had I, I didn't even have wasn't I should have had someone with me like on a boat, but I wanted to do it. So I started swimming and everything was going perfectly fine. And I got about halfway, I would guess. And a barge starts come a tugboat's pushing a big long barge down the river toward me, and I'm in the middle, mm. and there is not like you can swim away from it. No. So I stopped and I start waving my arms, hoping that he would see me, and he either saw me or he was going where I'm about to tell you they dredge, which yeah. I did not know, but he turned that barge and went, and I breathed sigh relief, kept swimming, and things were fine, and I got about. Oof, I would say 200 yards from the bank. And I hit a flume like you would have at Dollywood on the log ride. I mean, it was where they dredged the river to keep the channel open. Mm -hmm. And when I hit that, I started going toward Baton Rouge. It was not going (laughs) forward. I was going like south. Yeah. And the more I swam, the harder I swam, I was getting nowhere. I went under the Mississippi River Bridge. And I'm still hard as I can swim. And I remember at one point I started to kind of panic. And I looked back over my shoulder to see how far it was back. And I knew I was too exhausted to get all the way back by then. Because the river kind of starts to turn there. It would have been so much further. Right. And, oh, man. It was was the most... I've never been that scared or panicked. and But on top of it, I was physically, all the adrenaline was gone. I was just limp, you know, mm-hmm. hey, after an athletic event, I'm sure. And I just said, Lord, I made, I've got to get over that bank. And I just, one last time, I put my head down, and as hard as I could, I've never swam that hard, and kicked while I was swimming. And I was, And I would look up. And I'd made a little progress, and I finally got to <clears throat> the closer and closer, and I finally got. They have this big rebar sticking up out of the river, and it's nothing but like a silt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you, it, the, it's just awful in the rip wrap. So I grabbed on, and to tell you how bad the current was, when I grabbed the rebar, swing around. I my body swung around. Yeah, that's how hard the current was, and I just. And I tried to stand up, and when I stood up, I came up to about my chest in the silt. And then yeah. I was like, quick, I couldn't get out of that because I was so tired. I crawled up on the bank, and I was like black from the <laughs> silt. And I but remember, you have an orange shower cap on. But I got an orange shower cap on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I go walking back up. I couldn't. I was stumbling up. By then, they had called. They had given me up. So yeah, by then the people that were the with two you, the two people lost. on the staff they lost faith they they yeah they can't see you anymore oh no he, and, he's and a it missing has been, person he's a missing person <laughs> right. at this point, at this point. Okay. <laughs> they're printing it up to put on a milk jug right now oh yeah Department of Public Safety is having <laughs> all right so I right see now. I see lights Mississippi Highway coming from Mississippi going into Louisiana as I'm like stumbling up black and. I was trying to wave at anybody to help me, and people there was nobody noticed because I was down on the bank right under the bridge. And I walked up, when I walked up, everybody was gone from that particular location. They were down the river looking for me. Wow! And I finally got. 
they they were crying, and it was not a very smart thing. But I did it. So How far south of your you know where the campground projected is? landing point? Did you, you know you where actually, the campground is? I don't. Okay, it's I would say uh, close to about three, three quarters of a mile. You're a long ways down there. I yeah, was way yeah. down south of the bridge. I was a half mile south of the bridge. Yeah. There's a campground over there on that side, and I was on the end of that bottom, the south end of that campground, and and um, I was scraped up from all that uh, rocks and stuff yeah. and crawling and, but that that was not a very smart thing to do. But when I got to court the next morning, they were so mad. Well, was Nobody was speaking to me. <laughs> no one would speak. Who, who got fired from the from the MBI after this? From well, I'll tell you, the head of the Highway Patrol of tro- that troop, I think it's K, I'm not sure, but he was there, and he was so angry, he wouldn't even speak yeah. to me. He's, yeah, he's supposed to. Because he's, you know, and he's like. You're his detail. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, we have spoken about an individual swimming the Mississippi River every year. It was a deer. Right. He got <laughs> killed last year. He's actually famous. I was looking at the Clarion Ledger article. We've, I'm a, we've I've spoke about it on here. Yeah. yeah 14 he or was 15 har- years, something like that. He yeah, he was harvested last year. Uh, I'm not sure how many years he'd done it, but for, I know for multiple years they had had a GPS collar on him, and just when the summer hit or the spring, he was like, I'm going to Louisiana. My wife put a GPS collar <laughs> on me recently. <laughs> <laughs> you keep it You keep it in your pocket, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I got one of those too, unfortunately. So – for anybody that's thinking about possibly swimming across the Mississippi River, you don't advise it. No. Yeah. I would never do that again. Yeah. Um, that yeah. was pushing the limit too far. You know, we, I get on the Mississippi River just about every year, especially for alligator season. Yeah. We go, uh, we put in a Grand Gulf and go. And I think one of the things that keeps me coming back is because it scares you a Unpredictable. little. Unpredictable. Yeah. It's just the excitement of what may happen. Right, you know, you but, have to respect it, and right. and it changes. What what people don't realize, you have a place on the river. I, I do, and and like today, the river, the Greenville River gauge is at seven. Right. Um, so the river's really low. That means the current's really fast, right. and a lot of people don't realize that. Well, all the rock daddies are sticking out of the water right now, at about twenty seven feet. All those rock jetties that are just below the surface, you don't see them. But I have right. a I have a good buddy that's torn the the foot off of three different motors on the Mississippi River because right. he ran over those rock daddies. Well, that's uh, <laughs> we we almost had that incident last year. Alligator hunting, my, we ran out of gas. Uh, coming, we next. didn't run out of gas. He <laughs> ran out of gas. Didn't. I was on the boat. <laughs> he was with we me. Did, we didn't put gas in the boats. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like not turning on the machine, the computer, when you're recording a podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've done that recently too. You know, uh, not not hooking the settings up right, but you know, it, and the thing that bothered me was not that we're in the river, not that it's three thirty in the morning, but that I know there's a rock jetty right here close, right. and if we don't clear it, well, I'm going to sink my boat. We're going to end up in the in the in the in the drink, and who knows what happens then? Because it is three thirty in the morning. Exactly. And I don't know though, but just something about the river it just it keeps you coming back. You have to respect it, but right. you it, it gets in your blood. And you talked about how quick it changes. Uh, this year, uh, when alligator hunting, we put in at Grand Gulf on opening night. I don't remember what the river stage was, but the rock jetty when we went across to to Yucatan, 
Um, you could barely see the top of the rock jetty. We came back. That was on a Friday. We came back on the next Thursday, and the river had dropped eight feet, and the whole rock jetty was out. Mm. And that's that's not uncommon. And then in the spring, it's not uncommon for it to jump ten feet overnight. Right. And uh, you know, last last spring it was at forty four feet Greenville gauge, uh, which is I mean, put that in perspective. That's thirty six feet higher than I mean higher than it is right now. Right. Thirty six. Thirty-six feet. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's amazing. So don't go swimming in the Mississippi River unless you just absolutely have to. No, don't, I don't. Don't try to swim across. Don't it. try to swim across <laughs> it. Yeah. It's, if it's on your bucket list, you probably want to take it off. Move on. Move on to the next <laughs> yeah, item. Right. <laughs> Guys, thank y'all so much for coming out tonight. This has been fun. It's a pleasure. Uh, and uh, my pleasure. Can I just ask everybody to remember us at Homes of Hope? We um we need the community support and we welcome it because as I said in the beginning we're privately funded and we're privately supported. Uh, do you have a website that that people can go to? We do hohfc dot org and we are in the middle in the process of uh, reworking our website. But uh, Facebook is the best okay. for now until we unveil our new website. Facebook's where we, you can get all the information you need. Get in touch with us, Homes of Hope for Children. And like this podcast, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching whoever wins this. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to come up this, with a contest uh, now. Hand grab. Hand grab. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go hand grab. We're not going to the Mississippi River, though, right? No. Okay, I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> going on the, the home of children. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> All right. Thank well, you for having me very much. It's appreciate a pleasure. you guys coming. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Matt, you got anything else tonight? I'm good. While you're scrolling through social media, go check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also, visit our website, pinstripes2camo.com, to read weekly blogs and purchase Pinstripes to Camo merchandise.